We're looking at Isaiah chapter 11 once again this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open there. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use one of the Bibles in the pew racks, but the passage is also printed in the worship guide, and you're welcome uh, to follow along there. So this is week three, part three, uh, in this mini-series during Advent on Isaiah chapter 11. And what we have learned so far from this passage of Scripture is that where the chapter begins, there is no life. There is a lack of life, a lack of vitality. But it's as though the prophet Isaiah says, hold on, wait, look closely. Look closely. Out of that dead tree stump, can you see it? Do you see it? There is a shoot growing up out of it. The shoot, as we read on, uh, eventually becomes a branch that bears much fruit. And this branch is ultimately a particular person. That person is the Messiah, the prophesied king, Jesus himself, that we, under, we understand that to be him as we consider the story of the Bible as a whole. And from there, Isaiah takes us into the identity of this king we learn about, and we learn about how the fullness of God's spirit rests upon him, and how he is a king who is just, who uh, seeks what is right for the poor and the most vulnerable. And then last week, we looked at the nature of the king's kingdom, this kingdom that we anticipate, the kingdom that we look forward to, a, a kingdom where everything is made new, where there is an absence of conflict, an absence of struggle, of absence of hostility. It is a world in which everything is functioning the way that it was meant to from the very beginning. And we concluded last week by saying it is Jesus the world's true king who accomplishes this, who brings this about. And as we look forward to the fullness of his kingdom, we anticipate and we can have confidence that he will fully bring that about. So that brings us to verse 11. We're going to look at verse... Actually, we're going to, for context, we're going to start at verse 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through 16 this morning. And we're going to talk... We're going to look into how this king, the world's true king, Jesus how he makes it his ambition to pursue people, to pursue people who are scattered and to bring them back home to himself. Let me read verses 10 through 16. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time, to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will set, assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. 
And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's take a moment to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us and to be with us. Holy Spirit, open the word to us this morning that we might understand, that we might see Jesus. And we pray that this would not just be information that we gather up from this text. We pray that through your working in our very lives in this moment during this time, that you would bring about transformation. Jesus, your word tells us, and we're reminded of in this passage, that your great ambition is to bring your people home to yourself. We pray that you would do some of that even now. Come and find us. Come and draw us to yourself, whether we find ourselves this morning believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what we believe. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Those of you who know me, um, at least some of those of you who know me, know that one of my favorite movies and it's actually quite surprising, even to me, of this past year that I watched was The Greatest Showman. What was that for? <laughs> that, that was a little awkward. I don't know what to do with that. I wasn't expecting that reaction, so let me uh, gather my thoughts here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the Greatest Showman. And the reason that it is even surprising to me is because if I were to give you a category of some of my favorite movies, I'm not so sure that any of them you could categorize as musicals. Musicals don't tend to be my thing that I get into, but The Greatest Showman is a musical, and I loved it. I loved it because of the storyline, but I also loved it because of the music. And there's, I mean, it's hard for me to pick my favorite song from it, but I think my favorite song um, from the movie is, um, what's it called? I forgot to include the title, but it's the one that has, and we will come back home. What's the name of it? From Now On, yes. Forgot to include that in my notes. It's my favorite song. Um, from Now On, um, it's toward the end of the movie, and it's when P.T. Barnum uh, is... He basically leads the cast in the singing of this song. He's at a moment in his life where he has, um, he has wandered. He's wandered from his true purpose, um, namely from his, mainly from his family in the storyline. And he has come back, but he has come back to only find that he has lost everything that he had put himself, his, his time and energy into. And he breaks out into this song, which includes these lines and we will come back home, and we will come back home, home again. It actually begins um, with him singing, almost talking these lines. I saw the sun begin to dim and felt the winter wind blow cold. A man learns who is there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. Because from then, rubble what remains. And then again, repeated many times. And we will come back home, and we will come back home, home Again, why is this my favorite song of the movie? Well, it's a catchy tune. That's one of the reasons. But it's actually not the primary reason 
um, why this is my favorite song from the movie. It's actually that repeated refrain or chorus, whatever it is, we will come back home, we will come back home, home again. Every time I hear that, I get chills. Because even though technically in the context of the storyline, he's speaking of returning to his wife and his family um, and, and the security that is there, it speaks to a longing in my own life. And I know it's a longing that you have. Deep down inside, inside each and every one of us wants to go back home. Now, home means many different things to, um, to us. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we find ourselves at a time of year where this talk of going back home is quite common. Uh, many people want to return home for Christmas, for the holidays. But for others of us, um, this common um, language that is used creates um, grief and sadness for us because maybe we don't have a home to return to. Maybe the home that we once knew no longer exists. And it's not only simply because of the physical structure possibly not existing, but maybe the people that we thought of as home, identified with home, are no longer in our lives. And so this longing for home can take on different forms. It can actually lead to, lead to great anticipation and longing, but it can also lead to deep grief and sadness because we believe that what we long for is actually not um, achievable in our lives. C.S. Lewis referred to this as the desire for the faraway country or the faraway land. And he refers to it specifically as the inconsolable secret that is in each and every one of us. So this longing, this, this, he calls it the secret that is inside of us, it's not consolable. It's always there. It can never be completely fed or fulfilled because even for those of you who will return home for this holiday season and find it to be a time of great blessing, you will find yourself after that longing to return home yet again. And it's not just home um, as a physical place or even family members. Home is this far away, far off country that we don't know of yet, that we haven't experienced, but we sense that we were, we were made for something more than we experience now. The point is, is that we all long for home in one shape or another. It's a universal longing that is common to all of us. And Isaiah 11 points us to this longing, but particularly to how this longing is fulfilled in the one who is spoken of as the branch here in this chapter. So I want to, from this passage, I want to look at how God promises to call his people home and how he also promises to restore his people to wholeness. All right, let's look at how God calls his people home in verses 11 through 16 in particular. And let me say this just for context. I think I, I mentioned this last week. Sometimes reading the prophets of the Old Testament can be confusing. Isaiah is one of those prophets in the Old Testament. And it can be confusing because especially when you're reading prophecies about the coming Messiah, the world's true king that is spoken of often throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament, it can be confusing to know whether or not he's the prophet speaking of 
the first coming of this king or the second coming of this king? What I mean by that is um, we know from the biblical story that Jesus has already come once. He lived among us. He died on the cross for sin, and he rose again to newness of life, securing the ultimate consummation of his plan that we still anticipate, but we anticipate it. The fullness of the kingdom has not come yet. You can think about it in this way, that the world's true king came once, he inaugurated his kingdom, but we now find ourselves in between the first coming and the second coming. The kingdom has been inaugurated, but we haven't experienced in its fullness. We still wait for it. Sometimes what the prophets do is they collapse both of these comings into one. And that's what can make it so confusing sometimes because you can be reading and you're like, wait, is it talking about the first coming of Jesus or the second coming? Well, probably both are in view sometimes in a sense. And so we um, read in Isaiah chapter 11 about this shoot who eventually becomes the branch um, who, who comes. But now later in the passage, starting with what we looked at last week, verses 6 through 10, we're reading about the nature of the king's kingdom, remember? And as you read that, you would be absolutely correct to say, wait a second, I don't see the dynamics of that kingdom uh, that's being described here in the world around me. And you, like I said, would be accurate and right. But that is why we still anticipate, that's what Isaiah has in view in those verses, the fullness of the kingdom that will come when Jesus returns again to make all things new. So, I just mentioned that possibly for helpful context. And Isaiah, he's carrying us to a time now when Jesus will reign as king after his second coming. This is the picture that we got in verses 6 through 10. And now I want you to look at verses 11 through 16. In verse 11, it says that God will reach out his hand to bring his people Back home. In verse 12, the language of a banner being raised, um, which would indicate a a signal being sent forth. And what what does a signal do? Well, it's meant to call attention to, it's meant to possibly call for help or to call for someone to come. And this signal, this banner that is raised, is in the context of this passage, is meant to call people from all the four corners of the earth to come under this banner. Now, the banner being spoken of here is the same one who is the branch. It's the Messiah. It's the world's true king. It's Jesus. Jesus is the banner that's being raised. And what Isaiah is doing is that he's talking about Jesus as the rallying point, as the signal And as that signal goes forth, he calls people from all across the globe to come home to him. The passage um, begins, well, at least verse 11 begins with um, saying that he will raise a signal for, that's verse 12, uh, in that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. What is the second time? What was the first time, right? We need to, if this is the second time, what was the first time? Well, the first time, what is in view is um, the Exodus. That um, incredible demonstration of um, God's mighty act in the book of Exodus when he delivers his people out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. And 
our, our uh, chapter actually concludes with that mention as well. It says, And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And so Isaiah is describing a time in which God will perform a mighty, a mighty act on the level, but actually even on a greater level as that of the Exodus in the book of Exodus. You catch that word remnant that gets used um, in the passage? What does that refer to? Well, remnant refers to specifically a believing people, a trusting people. Who are those that Jesus ultimately is going to call home to himself? It is those who are believing, who are embracing of his promise, who have embraced his identity as the world's true king. All right, here's where I want to apply this to the longing of our hearts. It's interesting, isn't it, that we, we have this longing inside of us. And this is one of those um, areas of life where the biblical story resonates with my human experience. You know, there, there are things in the Bible that confuse me, things in the Bible that disturb me, just like they do you. Um, but there are many more things in the Bible that resonate with my experience and that very easily, as I consider my own life and the world around me, affirm that what the Bible is saying about reality is true. And this is one of those things. We have this longing for home. And it makes sense in the biblical story why that longing exists. We have a longing for home because why? We are not home. Whatever, at this point in the sermon, whatever that might mean, whatever that might look like, we are not home, right? We long for home because we aren't there. You know, it's interesting um, here, the, the immediate context or the immediate audience of, of Isaiah chapter 11 are a, a God's people who have literally been sent into exile. They have been invaded and Many of their people have been deported to other countries. They find themselves scattered. They are literally in exile. But what is interesting to me and actually even helpful is that this idea of exile captures the essence of our life in this world, and it actually captures, um, I, I think, the full scope of the biblical story. Here's my point. As human beings, we are all exiled. The Bible begins in a garden called Eden. And in the biblical story, those first two chapters, it paints a picture for us of shalom, um, of peace, of the world functioning in harmony, the way, flourishing the way that it was meant to. But when humans, Adam and Eve, rebel against God, run away from relationship with him, one of the consequences of that is that they are banished from the Garden of Eden. In other words, they are sent into exile. And shortly after that, um, in Genesis chapter 4, there's a scene in which one brother murders another one. So that's how things are escalating early on, in the, particularly in Genesis 3 through 11. There's this intense escalation of sin and sin's entrance uh, 
into the world, creeping into every aspect of life. But one brother um, kills another brother. And that brother who has committed this crime then senses that what he has done is weighty and heavy. And he talks about now wandering the earth as a fugitive. You see, this language that gets used in the biblical story in different places lines up with our human experience. We know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. We long for something better, for something greater, for something more meaningful. We long for home. We long for home because we are in exile. As we put it last week, as God's people, we are separated currently from our good beginning and from our good ending. We find ourselves in the middle of a mess. The middle of the mess is exile. Life in a broken world. Life in a fallen world. Life in a world where things are not the way they are meant to be. And it's into that longing, into that context, that Isaiah speaks. No, like God's people, the immediate audience, um, none of us in this room this morning, although this is true for some of God's people around the world, for, for none of us is it true that we have been physically exiled from our land or our place. But we still can resonate with, relate to the idea of human exile, life in the world as we know it. And so what does longing for home look like for you this morning? Look at the the past few days. Look at the past week. When you view your life through this lens of sensing that you are living in exile and you're longing for a true home, what form has home taken in your life in the past several days? Like, what is it that you're trying to latch yourself onto, that you're identifying as home? If I, could only, if I could only get there, if I could only find myself there, then I would have security, then I would have comfort, then I would be home. You see, we, we're doing this constantly throughout the day, throughout our weeks. We're constantly, even though we wouldn't think of it this way, we wouldn't put it in these words, we're constantly a people who are looking for our true home. And Isaiah says that there is a true home for us. Now, this is what I'm um, sometimes, uh, I I fall into this trap. That I I read Isaiah 6 through 10, the description of the kingdom that will come, of the world made new by Jesus. And I want that world so desperately I know that deep down inside, I I sense that that is my home, and so I want to be there. But what we can't miss, and I I kind of wrapped up last week's sermon by saying this, is that ultimately home is found in a person. Now, this actually makes sense of human experience as well. Because yes, when we long for home, we long for maybe a space, a, a physical space to dwell in, or a set of circumstances Um, to go better than they currently are. You know, we want there to be an absence of stress, of tension, of conflict, of depression, all good things and all things that are promised to us in the, the kingdom when it comes in its fullness. But actually, deep down inside, our longing for a true home is a longing for a person. 
In other words, it's longing for intimacy. It's longing for communion. And so I I, want to help you to see that this morning, that yes, you want so desperately escape from your hard circumstances, but more than that, you want intimacy. You want communion. You know that you were meant to experience the fact that you are deeply loved by someone greater than you. And this is what we're getting pointed toward in Isaiah chapter 11. Again, verse 12. Um, in that day, the root of Je- verse 10. I'm sorry. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Do you see it? The fullness of this kingdom is ultimately the fullness of a person. The signal, the one who signifies all of the good benefits that come along with who he is for us. And in verse 12, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel. And as we saw, the call goes out to all of his people to come back home. Yes, ultimately to enter into the goodness and the fullness of his kingdom, a world made new and right, but ultimately it's a cause, an invitation to enter into his very presence. So during this Advent season, this time in which we wait, remember that we must wait on God to save us, long for Jesus. Yes, long for his kingdom and all that he brings with himself, but long for Jesus, the one for whom you were made. Long for relationship and intimacy and communion with him. He invites you to come. And this is the the powerful thing of this Advent season, particularly as we are celebrating Advent in between the two comings. Because we we don't just have to look out into the future in the same way that the God's people of the Old Testament had to and and hope um, that he would come without any kind of experience um, that would indicate that he will definitely come. Now, yes, God delivered his people, but I'm talking about him literally coming in the way that he did in Jesus. You see, we can bank on the fact that he will come again but because he, he has already come once. He has come to us. And that's the power of, ultimately, the Christmas story. It's the power of the biblical story. That while we are searching for home in all of these other places, in all of the wrong places, Jesus, our true home, came to us. He came to us to look for us, to search for us, to find us. But there's a promise uh, of something even greater here. Not only does Isaiah 11 promise that God will call us home, it promises that he will restore us to wholeness. Notice that God not only brings his people back, those people who have been scattered uh, to the four corners of the earth, And in talking in that way, Isaiah is speaking of the known world at that time. Um, God will not only bring his people back home, he restores them to wholeness. The two kingdoms that had been divided earlier in Israel's history are, are now unified. And there's no division. There's no conflict. They're not... Um, competing against one another. They're not fighting against one another. There's peace. And also, there's no threat. 
of other nations. This was Israel's issue throughout their history, even into the New Testament. Always the threat of a bigger, more powerful um, uh, enemy coming to conquer them. They lived with that fear and with that threat. But here God speaks, or Isaiah speaks of the ultimate protection and security that will be provided for them. And that even in a sense, those countries will actually, figuratively speaking, fear God's people because they will be so safe and secure. Talk about uh, uh, speaking to the longing hearts of the people. When the original audience would have uh, read this, they, they would have had it find it hard to believe because of their experience. They would not have been able to imagine a day like the one being spoken of here in Isaiah chapter 11. Because again, it's ultimately a promise of shalom. And not just merely the absence of conflict and hostility and war, all of those things that were so pervasive to Israel's experience and are pervasive to our experience, but it's flourishing, it's unity, it's peace. Again, it's things functioning the way that they were meant to. And this is our, our longing as well. You see, our, our long, these are one and the same. Our, our longing for home is really a longing for wholeness. Our longing for home is really a longing for wholeness. Frederick Buechner, Christian writer, says, No matter how much the world shatters us to pieces, we carry inside us a vision of wholeness that we sense is our true home and that beckons to us. I don't know if you've heard in the past week about what is happening to some of our brothers and sisters in China. Um, they are experiencing intense uh, persecution. Last week, um, the early rain covenant church of China uh, was invaded. Um, their church was destroyed. Uh, many of the people of the church were um, taken into custody and beaten and all kinds of horrific things. Isaiah chapter 11 is not irrelevant to our experience of life in this world as God's people. We obviously need Isaiah 11. I mean, I've already made the case for that. But Isaiah 11 is powerful for brothers and sisters of ours in China right now. This vision, this prophecy of an invitation to come home to a place of security where you can dwell without threat of uh, conflict and hostility and invasion and persecution, a, a picture of a world where flourishing happens all of the time. This is the vision that our brothers and sisters in China need to hear. And I just want to share the depth and level of their faith with you. Um, there was a um, post uh, that was made available, disseminated by Western China Presbytery, the regional body of churches that Early Rain Covenant Church belongs to. And um, I just want to read an excerpt from it. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who are also called as children of God and disciples of Christ, peace be with you. We trust that you have heard the news that since December 9, 2018, Early Rain Church a church that belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ has been attacked and persecuted by the authorities. God's children are being persecuted unconstitutionally and illegally and are experiencing great suffering. Uh, 
After losing contact with Pastor Wong and his wife for over 48 hours, his family was told that Pastor Wong was in criminal detention on suspicion of inciting subversion of the state. Elder Tan De Fu has been lost in contact for over 72 hours, and it goes on to name a couple elders and deacons. 47 brothers and sisters are being detained, and two sisters were strip searched. One sister is now at the hospital delivering a baby while her husband has been out of contact for almost 72 hours. Additionally, the police took away some elders, deacons, staff members, and brothers and sisters by force to the point where some even suffered violence, receiving scars and wounds on their bodies. While they are gradually being released, they are still under surveillance. I could read more. Um, but what's remarkable about these brothers and sisters is that you, you've, if you've been following this, you, you've read this or heard about it, they are maintaining their faith. They, ha- they, are, they are saying that they will not forsake the Lord Jesus, that they will continue to follow him, that they will continue to worship him as they are able. This is real life. This is the real world in which we live. This is not make-believe. And Isaiah chapter 11 is the real world. It's not make-believe. And the two come together at this powerful point in our lives. And that powerful point being our longing for home and wholeness. We desperately need the vision of Isaiah chapter 11 that we find here. We desperately need the branch, the signal, the one, the person, the king, the world's true king, the Messiah who is spoken of here, who entered in, who came to us once, who lived among us, who experienced, as we uh, declared in our confession of faith this morning, who experienced the pains and trials Um, the worst of what this world can offer upon himself, but who overcame it in his death on the cross. And in his death on the cross, he offers us forgiveness of sin, forgiveness of our running away from relationship with God, that through faith in him, we are forgiven. And then he rises again from the dead so that all of his fruit can become our fruit as we receive and experience newness of life. And this newness of life, the presence of his very spirit inside of us, continues to beckon us home, to call us home, to not settle for um, our false homes that we create or we, we fall into in this world, but to keep our vision toward all things made new in this one Jesus. In a book called Beyond Homelessness, um, Brian Walsh, um, along with, uh, I forget her first name, but her last name, Buma uh, Prediger, um, says that at the heart of the Christian gospel is the message that we are all homeless, but that there is a home in which our yearning hearts can and will find rest. That home is creation redeemed and transfigured, a place of grace that is inhabited by an indwelling God of unfathomable love. The Christian gospel, in other words, is a grand story of redemptive homecoming that is at the same time grateful home-making. And this is the tension of it all, that God calls us home, but in the meantime, he calls us to put down roots 
in this place that we currently call home. He calls us to homecoming, but he calls us to homemaking as well. And as his people, we are called to be signals as well, to be bearers of the light, to be bearers of the kingdom who through our ordinary everyday lives are bringing the kingdom to life around us so that the world around us may look and they may ultimately see the one true king. I want to conclude with this. This also comes from that writer Frederick Buechner, um, a story uh, from his own life. It was toward the middle of December, I think, that George Buttrick said something in a sermon that has always stayed with me. He said that on the previous Sunday, as he was leaving the church to go back to the apartment where he lived, he happened to overhear somebody out on the steps asking somebody else, are you going home for Christmas? And I can almost see Buttrick with his glasses glittering in the lectern light as he peered out all of those people uh, listening to him in that large, dim sanctuary and asked it again, are you going home for Christmas? And asked it in some sort of way that brought tears to my eyes and made it almost unnecessary for him to move on to his answer to the question, which was that home, finally, is the manger in Bethlehem, the place where at midnight even the oxen kneel. Home is where Christ is, was what Buttrick said that winter morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our one true home. And we search for home in all kinds of places. This is our life ambition as a people in exile in a fallen world. But the good news of Christmas, the good news of the Christian gospel, of the biblical story, is that you have brought home to us because you have come to us. You are our true home. Lord Jesus, may we... Be attentive to your presence this season. May we experience you. May we know your deep love for us. And may we find you, really, experientially, to be home. Pray in your name. Amen.